of all loves excelling. What a what a story. Please open your Bibles this evening to the book of Second Kings, chapter two. Second Kings chapter number two. As we continue on in our study of the Lord God of Elijah. Tonight, we're going to talk about bad boys, bald heads, and bears. <laughs> I can well imagine what some folks thought when they walked through the foyer this morning and and notice that uh, out there on the bulletin board. Bad boys, bald heads, and bears. Verse 23. And he, that is Elisha, and he went up from thence unto Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, there came forth a little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children of them. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from thence he returned to Samaria. As I was preparing this series of messages, I was tempted to just skip over this section like most preachers have done. I'm amazed at the lack of comments from preachers in regards to this story. And I thought, you know, maybe that would be the wise thing to do because it just might be that it would raise more questions than it would answer. And I say that because a lot of folks find this story to be repulsive and out of place. They believe that the prophet resorted to unusually cruel measures by pronouncing a curse upon a group of children who had been teasing him. But when we really look closer at this story, I think there is much more here than what you might expect. And uh, this story just very well could save somebody's life. And I want you to think about that and hang on to that thought because we'll get around to it later on. I'm saying it could mean the difference between life and death for some person. So, look at verse 23 and consider the place where the story happened. Verse 23, and he went up from thence unto Bethel. The location of this story makes a big difference. Bethel, which means the house of God, and you'll remember perhaps we talked about it some time ago, this is where Jeroboam had schemed in order to try to gain control of all of Israel. So it was a place of scheming. Now remember, originally it had been a place of dreaming, You'll remember the story of Jacob there at Bethel, and it's designated the house of God because the Lord had manifested Himself to Jacob there. And so now the house of God becomes a place of, of sinful idolatry. 
when Jeroboam decided that he was going to try to get control of all of Israel, he set up golden calves there in Bethel and in Dan. Maybe you remember the story. And I think part of the idea was, is that I will, I'll not only appeal to the people, in other words, I'll give them what they want, what they desire, and I'll make it easy for them. They won't have to travel as far, and it'll just really be convenient for them. You know, I'm really amazed at what's going on in America today, and I cannot help but to make an application to our situation In the world that we're living in, what has happened is a lot of preachers and churches have tried to make Christianity so palatable, so pleasing to people that they've designed what they call seeker-friendly churches. Now, I believe churches ought to be friendly. There's no doubt about that. But there's something seriously wrong any time that a church designs its worship service and the preaching and everything else based on the whims and desires of the unsaved people in the neighborhood. That's not what it's all about. And yet that's exactly what's going on. Now here's the, here's the strange part about this. It's not working. It's not working. Southern Baptist, I believe this is the third year in a row they had a decline in membership. And I'm telling you, this was after two years of strong pushing to have more baptisms than ever before. And so they crusaded on that, that we're going to baptize more people this year than ever before. And every year it's going down and going down and going down. And again it did. And it ought to tell us something. As you've heard me say so many times, if you want to see where we're headed, just look at Europe because we're right on their heels. We're going the same route that they've taken, basically. And it's not working. Now, notice this story here where these these children, so-called, and we'll get to that in a minute, The story takes place there in a city that is now given to idolatry, people that do not recognize the true and the living God as the only God. And so it's no wonder that when Elisha gets there, he meets with ridicule. He's a messenger from the true and the living God. He's entering into a city of heathen worship where they had no respect for Jehovah, no respect for His covenant. And mark it down, any time that, that people are despising God, then they're going to end up persecuting His servants. And we better get ready for that. Did you read just this last week, the Baptist, First Baptist Church in Maryville, Illinois, shot and killed. Holding the Bible in front of him, the first three or four shots from a forty-five were deflected. They said that the Bible blew apart like confetti, and finally after that one bullet hit him and killed him. Nobody even knew this man. They had no idea what it was all about. You mark it down, folks. Whenever it gets to the place that we have to stand up in the face of the world and stand on the Word of God, 
contrary to the world. It's just a matter of time till we're going to have to pay a price to do that. I read an article even this afternoon just checking through the news there on the computer and noticed that here again we're in Europe and there in, I believe it was London or someplace over there, how that these parents are being prosecuted for removing their children out of the schools during these uh, sessions where they're trying to indoctrinate them on homosexuality. And the parents say, it's not going to happen to my kids, and if you're going to be teaching that this day, we're taking our kids out. And they pay a price for doing that. And the same thing's going to happen here, folks. I mean, we're going to get it crammed down our throats, and we better be ready to stand and to understand that if we're going to do what God wants us to do, we may have to pay a high price. And so here is Elisha coming into a city once devoted to God, now given over to heathenism, and he's being ridiculed. The great prophet Elisha ridiculed. Now notice the people. The place is Bethel, but notice the people. And there are two things I want you to notice about the people. First of all, I want you to notice the age factor here. And notice it says little children. Little children. Now that particular Hebrew word can refer not only to what we think of as little children, let's say five, six, seven years old, it is the same word that can be used for young people or teenagers. In fact, if you turn over in the book of Genesis chapter number 22, it's used here in regards to Isaac, who was a teenager, maybe even 20 years old, and the exact same Hebrew word is used in reference to him. So the point I'm trying to make is that it's possible that these are not little innocent children here. In other words, it's more than just a childish prank. Whatever the case, they're old enough to know better, and that's the point. Old enough to know better. Now, notice not only the age, but notice their attack. It's a verbal attack, and it's twofold. First of all, they said, go up, go up. Now, evidently, they had heard about... Elijah's ascent into heaven there in the fiery chariot. Everybody, no doubt, had been talking about it. Not that everybody believed it, but everybody was talking about it. Remember those prophets from the prophet school. They had already come to Elisha. We saw that last week. And they come to Elisha and says, we need to send a search party out there and find him. So everybody knows about it. And it just might be that that these kids are mocking him, trying to get him to imitate Elijah, scoffing at him, scoffing at the supernatural, in other words. And the supernatural has always been ridiculed by unbelievers. Whether it's the virgin birth, the resurrection, whatever it is, the crossing of the Red Sea, we hear it all the time. People tell us, oh, that just couldn't happen there. You know, it's so unscientific. You can't expect us to believe something like that. Scoffing at the supernatural. And so that may be exactly what's taking place here. Or it might be that they're just telling him to keep going. Go up, go up. In other words, keep going. Get out of town. Get out of our face. We don't want you around here. 
Now notice, secondly, here's what they said. Go up, go up, thou bald head. In those days, baldness was considered a disgrace. It was usually considered as a sign of mental weakness. Any way you look at it, it was a personal insult. In fact, I'm told by historians that it not, did not necessarily refer to somebody who was actually bald. It was a term of derision against people. It's kind of like, you know, somebody today calling people crazy. Oh, you're crazy. You're insane. You're out of your mind. You're an idiot. You're a nut. Sort of the same thing here. So it's an insult. I know what some folks are thinking. They're thinking, you know, well, it's not all that big of a deal. Just a bunch of kids having fun. Remember when, remember when you were little, you know, what's a penny made out of? Dirty copper! Boy, we used to do that and we would run. We thought those cops are sure going to come after us. <laughs> no, this, listen, this is not, uh, this is not just a playful bunch of kids out there poking fun at the preacher. It very well could be that I'm enlisted. This is like a gang of teenagers. They're telling him to get out of town, buddy. You're going to get hurt. Don't you hang around here. Regardless of what you think about it, regardless of the age of those people involved, God looked at it as a very serious matter. You see, it's dangerous to speak evil of God's servants, and there's a lot of examples in the Bible. I think in Numbers chapter 12, for example, here is Moses. He had married an Ethiopian. And you'll remember how that Miriam, his sister, and Aaron, here they come. And I mean, uh, it's full bore criticism. And here's what they say. Do you think you're the only one qualified to lead the people? Are you the only one that's got enough, you know, smarts to be able to, to lead the people? I mean, can't we decide for ourselves? Can't we, you know, can't we do it like a democracy? Now, they didn't say that, but I mean, this is their attitude. We want a part in running this thing. And it goes on and on and on, and you'll remember that ultimately Miriam is smitten with leprosy as a result of her sin. Now, you would think the children of Israel had learned their lesson from that, but they didn't because you go right on to chapter number 16, and here's Korah and his followers. And they said to Moses, you take too much upon yourself. In other words, we won't help run the show. Uh, I, I, I remember, you know, people talking about preachers and pastoral authority, and I certainly believe in pastoral authority, although I don't believe in being a dictator and so forth, and I'm not going into all of that. But it's kind of like, you know, somebody says, well, what do you think? You're supposed to, you're supposed to run the church? No, I'm, I'm supposed to make sure you don't run the church. That's my job. I'm going to make sure nobody else runs the church. I'm going to make sure that the church runs the church with the Lord as the head. That's my job. So they come to him, they say, we want a part in this. We want to make some of the decisions. You know the story, the ground opened up and 250 of them were swallowed up. I'm telling you, God took it as a serious offense. Over in 1 Timothy chapter number 5, verse 19. Well, you don't really need to turn there, but here's what it says. 
against an elder, and he's not just speaking about those that are older, because in verse number 17, he said that the elders that rule are worthy of double honor, that is, double pay. They're worthy of it. You know, churches across America talk about, boy, we are Bible-believing churches. I mean, how many churches do you know that, you know, give their pastor double salary? The average salary for a pastor between 100 and 300 in America is $81,000 a year. And I don't know of an independent preacher anywhere that's making $162,000 a year. So he's talking about elders, and he's talking about those that are in positions of leadership in the church. And notice what he says, against an elder, he says, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now, were you to get Mrs. Stone aside after the service and bend her ear, she would probably, well, she wouldn't tell you, but she could tell you that I'm not perfect like you think. Remember last week we talked about doing what is best for the church? Remember that? We talked about giving your best and doing what is best in the best interest for the church. So after the service, we got in the car and we started out to eat. And Bev said, well, you know, uh, good message. And she said, uh, she said, I want to do what's best for the church. And she said, I'm willing to give up my position as the pastor's wife. <laughs> so... <laughs> I hope that was tongue-in-cheek. I... But let's suppose that you discovered some inconsistency, some sin in my life. What are, you, what, are you, what are you going to do about it? Well, let me tell you this. And this is not only true of me, it's true of all of us here tonight. You do not bring an accusation against a person unless there are two or three witnesses. That was the law of the Jews back in the in Old Testament times. That was the law of the, during the early church. It's, listen, that's the way God plans for it to be today. You say, well, I know something about so-and-so. I saw them do this or that. Listen, that might be right, and they might be as guilty as sin. But if you don't have two or three witnesses, you need to just keep your mouth shut. Amen. So here is a warning that's been given. And notice, Korah and his followers didn't listen to that. Miriam, his own sister, didn't listen to it. And it goes on and on. And here we find this group of kids that do not listen, do not pay any attention, and they're mocking the man of God. Now, notice the pronouncement. We see the people involved in the place where it happens. But notice the pronouncement here. And there are two things. First of all, here's the reaction from Elisha. It says that he cursed them. Now, that's not what you think. It's not like, you know, somebody says, well, so-and-so got mad and just he, he just cussed the blue streak. That's not what it's talking about here. This has to do with pronouncing a sentence of judgment upon them. That is, as it were, declaring them guilty. It has nothing to do with vile and abusive language. It is a sentence of judgment being pronounced upon them in the name of the Lord. Now, that's the reaction. Now, notice the retribution from God because they had been warned. Let me turn over to Leviticus chapter 26. 
for just a moment. Leviticus chapter 26, and it's important that we make this connection because I'm telling you, God had already warned them and they had not listened to what He said, and that's the very thing that always gets us into trouble. Leviticus chapter number 26 and in verse number 21. And if you walk contrary unto me, I will not hearken and will not hearken unto me. I will bring seven times more plagues upon, upon you according to your sins. Now listen to this. I will also send wild beasts among you which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number and your highways shall be desolate. Where do you suppose these children developed that attitude they had toward the preacher? I'll tell you where they got it. They got it from mom and dad. They got it from their parents. They got it from the fact that they lived in Bethel that was a den of heathenism at that time. That's where they got it. And God had warned the parents there in Leviticus that if you don't listen to me, He says, I will rob you of your children. Now notice here, nothing is said about Elisha praying for them to be attacked by bears. I've got to tell you, there's been a few times I was tempted to pray for, uh, you know, some kind of a beast to attack people, and I certainly didn't do it, but I could sympathize with him. Lord, you've got to get them away from me, get them out of here. I mean, they're nothing but trouble. And But listen, he doesn't say... And dear Lord, you know how, how, how they're hurting your cause and how they're embarrassing me and hurting my feelings. Why don't you just send a couple of bears out there to, to attack them? He doesn't say that at all. He is denouncing their sin and pronouncing a curse upon them. He has every right to do that because God Himself had given the warning. God said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's no different than me standing here in this pulpit telling you that we reap what we sow. And if we sow to the wind, we reap the whirlwind. So he's simply asking for God to do what he promised he would do. And this judgment was necessary because had it not come, Elisha's authority and his ministry to those people would have been severely impaired. Now think about it. This is not something just personal. This is an attack against God. We've got to understand that. Same thing in the instance of Moses where the Lord told him, said, Moses, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So something has to be done here. We don't have the right to judge how God takes care of His business. And this is His business. Retribution always comes sooner or later to those who reject and ridicule God's Word and God's messenger. I said at the very beginning, this message literally could be a lifesaver to someone. What did I mean by that? Well, let me just give you one illustration. The illustration concerning children in Ephesians chapter number 6. In the first three verses there, he's talking about children honoring their parents and obeying their parents. And here's the reason why. He says, because if you do... He says, if you do, I'll make your way prosperous and I'll increase your life. There's longevity and prosperity 
listen, that was the first promise given, you know, in the Bible in that regards. A promise of longevity, in other words, you'll live longer, that, that if you obey your parents, I'm telling you kids, it's true. Are you listening to me? Well, you say, I know somebody and they lived all of their life in rebellion against their parents, and they didn't die until they were 60. Yeah, but they might have lived to, eight, to be 80 had they not done that. I'm telling you, God's going to keep His Word. And, and authority is important to God. Now, notice exactly what is and what isn't said in the first place. Notice here, 142 are mentioned as being attacked by the bears. Now, this is a large group, folks. I'll tell you what, a 142 12-year-old boys would, would be enough to swarm you and pull you down. I mean, they could literally take your life. So Elisha's life very well could have been in jeopardy. Now, we don't know all of the minute details, but 142. And so this might have been the necessary means that God used to spare the prophet's life. Secondly, nothing is said about any of them being killed. Did you notice that? didn't say they were killed. Now, they might be. I don't know. But notice that he uses the word tear. That means to be mauled or cut up. So they've been attacked. They've been abused by, by the bears. But notice, I want you to understand why it was so crucial that God responded as he did. And we've already talked about the condition at Bethel that contributed to the disrespect of these children here. But now there's something else I want you to see, and that is that that this sinful city was in desperate need of the truth. Well, what was the ministry of Elisha? What was he doing in the first place? Well, he was declaring the Word of God. In other words, they needed exactly what Elisha was bringing to them. In other words, the message of Elisha is the only hope of those people, and you better believe Satan did everything he could to stop him from delivering that message. So it's not just an issue between the people and the preacher. It's an issue between God and the people, and the future of that city is at stake here. You know, that, um, that makes the matter serious, folks. When you think about a future of a people, and it's something that God said, look, I cannot ignore this. And so it's not just an attack against Elijah. These people have rejected God. When you attack, when you attack God's servants, you are attacking God. And when you attack God, you're going to get hurt. You better pick on somebody your own size because you don't want to get in a fight with God. You'll lose every time. That's what's taking place here. They're rejecting the message. Now, I want to make this very personal tonight. You know, we can look at the historical part of it and we can reflect upon the situation as it existed back then, but I want each and every one of us tonight to think about how we ought to be affected and we need to examine ourselves. And here's some questions that we need to consider. What is your attitude toward others? I'm talking about just in general now. What's your attitude toward other people? Parents, we need to make it, we need to make it plain to our children that it's not acceptable behavior for them to make fun of other kids. 
bullying other kids involves a whole lot more than just punching somebody in the nose. We need to teach our children that's not acceptable. What is your attitude toward other people? Secondly, what's your attitude toward elders? Now, by elders here, I'm not talking about the office of the pastor in the church in this instance. I'm talking about elders, people that are older than you are. Do you know the Bible has a lot to say about us respecting our elders? Oh, that's something missing in society today. So many kids, I mean, you know, sometimes there's some kids just absolutely so rude and so no respect for elders. No, not to be that way. You see, young people, if you don't learn at a very early age to show respect for other people, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to end up getting hurt somewhere along the line. It, it always happens. What is your attitude toward your elders? What is your attitude toward authority? Remember, this is the man of God, and he's here in town. He's there for the sake of preaching the Word of God, and they're ridiculing him. What is your attitude toward authority? And it might be, you know, we talk about parental authority, or we talk about the authority, you know, the husband, or the authority of the pastor, or the authority of the government, or whatever. But all authority is ordained of God. Now, it never gives the person in authority the right to misuse his authority because God placed him there. It never does. But we are to respect authority. Somebody says, well, I'll tell you what, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. you got to be kidding. You're living, you're living in a dream world because I'm going to tell you right now, young people, there are going to be people telling you what to do for the rest of your life, whether you like it or not. It might be there in the office cubicle at work. It might be in prison. I mean, you pick. But somebody's going to tell you what to do. And we need to respect the authority that's over us. But here's what it boils down to. Not just others, not just elders, not just authority. It boils down to this. What is your attitude toward God's Word? This is God's messenger. And their mockery is a reflection of their attitude toward God. You know, you don't have to crawl up on a soapbox out here on the street corner somewhere and shake your fist toward heaven and deny God to get yourself in trouble. All you have to do is be disrespectful of the Word of God and you're going to get in trouble. What do you think? How do you feel about the Word of God? What is your attitude about God's Word? Do you recognize its authority? Do you acknowledge its wisdom do you understand the depth of God's concern for you in giving you the truth of His Word? And throughout this entire series, as we've been thinking about the Lord God of Elijah, and we see how that God shows Himself strong on behalf of those who serve Him. We saw it with Elijah. We're seeing it with Elisha. But we need to experience that for ourselves and that comes as a result of you and I having the right attitude toward the Word of God. You know, sometimes I think, well, you know, maybe we ought to go back to the way we used to do it. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, maybe, maybe we ought to go back to just uh, every time that we read the Word of God, have everyone stand in recognition and honor of God's Word. I, 
certainly not opposed to that, but I want to tell you one thing. You can stand while the preacher's reading the Bible and still be disrespectful of the Bible. You see, it's not a matter of, of, of the position of your body. It's the attitude of your heart that makes the difference. And we are to show the utmost respect for the Word of God. Whether you're in Sunday school or in the worship service, wherever you are, and the man of God or the teacher or whoever it is, and they open the Word of God, you ought to be tuned in. There shouldn't be any writing notes and any talking and distraction. I appreciate what somebody said yesterday. They I believe it was yesterday or this morning, but they said something to the effect, I sit down front because I, I, I just can't deal with all of the distractions. And I know there, there are different reasons why some people, they must sit in the back, and I understand that. But, and I didn't, I'm not here to slam those of you sitting on the back row tonight. But uh, i got to tell you, I couldn't sit back there and get the most out of it. I really couldn't, folks. There's so many things that the devil can use to distract us, and not bad stuff. Have you ever sit back there and, you know, and maybe back of some parents, and they've got this, they've got this cute little baby. Mom's got that baby over her shoulder, you know, and, 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 what, and the preacher's up there preaching, and you're, you know, goo, 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 and playing with that baby. Be respectful of the Word of God. But it's more, listen, it's more than that, folks. It gets right down to the everyday life. I mean, right where we live. Respect for the Word of God involves more than just paying attention during the course of the service or Sunday school. It has to do with us honoring God's Word in that we obey it. And every day we ought to spend quality time in God's Word. Letting God speak to us, letting God change us. Because I'm telling you, the Bible does change you. It is a change agent. We talk a lot about the need for us. Well, we even say, well, you know, I've got to make some changes. Well, those are the changes that always ultimately fail. It's not a matter of you and I changing ourselves. We've never been able to do that successfully. It's a matter of you and I being changed, and the change agent is the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together, and all of a sudden, we begin to change. Let me illustrate. Somebody says, well, you know, I've been trying so hard to forgive that person. Let me give you some advice. Stop trying. Just stop trying. That's what's getting you in trouble. You can't do it. The Bible says we're to love our enemies. I've got to tell you, you can't do that. I can't do it. It's impossible for us to love people that have hurt us deeply and to forgive them and to help them. The only way that it can happen in our life is for the Spirit of God to enable us to do it. He does it through us. You see, the Christian life is the life of Christ reproduced in the child of God by the power of God's Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and the other, other six things that he mentions there. What is your attitude toward the Word of God? It makes a difference. It made a difference back then. It makes a big difference today. Let's bow our heads together. Father, 
As we reflect back on this story and we think about the incident and we think, we think about our natural tendency to, to think this is just so unfair that these kids would get hurt so, so badly as a result of it. And Lord, help us tonight to see the big picture. Help us, Heavenly Father, to realize that as a nation, it just might be that we have to get hurt real bad before we will go back to where we used to be in a, in a place of honoring Your Word. We think about our legislators and our leaders all across the land and the disrespect, the disregard they've shown for Your Word. And Lord, we know there's a price to pay for that. So Lord, tonight we just pray that You'll do whatever it takes. Heavenly Father, I, I weigh those words carefully because I know that Sometimes what it takes is something that's really frightening and very painful. May you help us to understand tonight that nothing is more important than our relationship with you and everything about it depends upon our attitude toward your word. May it be such that you would be able to bless us for we ask it in Jesus' name.